0: Hello, I'm Blair Lemke. Welcome to Let God Speak. God created a perfect world without sin, evil, violence, insecurity, sickness or death. This beautiful reality was quickly marred by the entrance of sin into the world through Adam and Eve's disobedience. But the Creator God brought a solution to sin and death by sending a promised seed. Our Bible study today will reveal this. On our panel today, we have Gail Fong and Alan Sontar. Welcome. Thank Thank you. you. As always, let's begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you today for the opportunity to study your word. And as we study, we ask that you'd send your Holy Spirit to lead and to guide us into truth. We pray in Jesus name. Amen. Well, the world as we were given it from God, of course, was perfect. No, no uh, issues at all. Uh, But when we look around at the world today, it's a little bit different. Uh, So, Alan, I want to ask you, what went wrong?
1: Well, Genesis records the fact that um, the entrance of sin came into the world because Adam and Eve disobeyed God. Uh, The influence of Satan uh, shows up first here, and the deceiver, who was the original source of rebellion in heaven, tried to bring his rebellion to the earth and he succeeded. And so the world has been cursed by sin ever since.
0: Mm. It's quite a tragic reality, isn't it? Um, And of course, after creating this perfect world, uh, God gives quite an interesting instruction in his word. And I want to draw our attention to Genesis chapter 2, uh, verses 16 and 17. And God's word says, The Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. Uh, What does this instruction, Gail, tell us about the reality of free will in the world that God created?
2: Well, Adam and Eve, like Lucifer before them, was created uh, as, they were all created as perfect beings, given uh, free, uh, freedom, free moral excellence and um, freedom to choose. And with the freedom comes the ability to obey God and remain perfect or to disobey God and sin. Mm.
0: You know, it's quite an interesting way to create the world, really. God chose to create the world and to create individuals with freedom of choice, even though it carried risk of, as you point out, the ability to disobey God, not to listen to his instructions. And so, Alan, I want to ask the question to you. Now, if this was the case, if there was the risk of disobedience, why was God so committed to creating the world the way that he did, with freedom of choice?
1: Very good question. And I'd like to suggest to you that the answer can be found by reading 1 John chapter 4 and verse 8, because it says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. Mm. That's the secret of why God uh, gave people free choice, because love involves relationships. Mm. And therefore, it involves uh, more than one person. And it revol- involves a freedom of the person to choose and accept the relationship or to re- refuse it, and therefore uh, the uh, when God created the whole universe, he gave all of his cre- created beings free choice so they could love him in return or but it or risk or risk not loving him in return and so it 's important to, for us to remember that Love is God's defining characteristic and therefore he gave it to every one of his created beings, despite the risk. Hmm.
0: Yeah, it's, it, um, it's quite a remarkable thing that God did, really, when you stop to think about it. Yes. Uh, and in this text that we've just looked at, we see that uh, God puts a tree in the midst of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And uh, I want to ask you, Gail, how is this act of putting this tree in the midst of the garden consistent with God's character of love, as Alan has just shared with us?
2: It's a good question. Well, God created the Garden of Eden with major freedom, because as you read before, Blair, it says, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat and minor restriction, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, you must not eat. So uh, the minor restriction was placed only for Adam and Eve's best interests and in order to preserve freedom of choice uh, by making it possible for them to be free moral agents and choose to obey God or to disobey God.
0: Hmm. Wow. Well, of course, um, sometime after this warning from God to Adam and Eve, uh, we know that the Satan assumed the form of a serpent, as we read on throughout the narrative, and uh, began to come and try to deceive Eve and began eating of the fruit and, you know, looking like it was it was not dying and these sorts of things, and then engages Eve in a conversation. And I want to read from God's Word, the first part of that conversation, uh, which we'll look at more depth now. Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through to 4. Chapter, uh, verse 1 says this, Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. Putting ourselves in the position of Eve here, I want to ask you, Alan, why might these words have sounded so convincing to Eve, these words of temptation?
1: Well, for the first uh, point, Satan was in the tree, he was eating the fruit, and yet he could talk. And so, from Eve's point of view, she's watching this situation, and here's this serpent talking, saying that the fruit is good. And uh, if we have a look at uh, Genesis chapter 3 and verse 6, this is what it says So, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and it and a tree desirable to make one wise, because that's what Satan Mm. had said. She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave it to her husband and he ate. The point is that this test was not a major issue. It wasn't a hard thing to do, uh, but it was a test of whether she would trust what God said or whether she would believe the serpent. Mm,
0: Yeah. And, you know, as we look at those arguments, um, though they may have, uh, you know, from a logical perspective, from Eve's point of view, they may have been convincing. uh, And certainly she ended up, you know, falling for this deception. Uh, But what would have been perhaps helpful for Eve to have remembered while she was facing this temptation that may have guarded her against falling in the, the way that she did?
2: Well, unfortunately, in deciding between the conflicting claims of God and Satan, Eve ignored three basic principles. And the first one is that human reasoning is not always the safest way to go when you are evaluating spiritual matters. Mm. And the second is that God's word may appear to us sometimes to appear illogical and senseless, but it's always right and it's always trustworthy. And another point that we should remember is that um, there are things that are not evil uh, or wrong in themselves, but God may choose to test us, test our obedience by placing a a restriction or placing conditions upon certain things, testing our love, our loyalty and our obedience.
0: Wow. And this really was a very minor test, wasn't it? It was a simple, small little thing. Um, and, you know, she was being called to trust in God's word uh, over any other uh, feeling or thought or, or you know, suggestion that, from any individual otherwise. And of course, um, it's easy for us to sit in the seat of judgment and look back and even say, oh, Eve, you should—you know, you could have done this. But of course, this is a reality that we each face uh, as an everyday. And we too can remember these lessons of, of trusting in God's Word over things that may not make sense to us, uh, but believing that God's Word is true and right and just. Um, I want to ask you, Alan, is this experience that Eve faced Uh, isolated to her alone uh, or something that is common to all mankind?
1: Absolutely not isolated. And in fact, uh, it happens to all of us all the time. There's a tension between God's word and our cultural understandings. A lot of people don't realize how important the culture is in giving us that lens through which to look. And it's very easy for us to uh, to think that because we can't see a reason why God has said it, well, then it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. If there's a lesson that we all need to learn, it is we need to obey him whether we understand the reason or not.
0: Wow. And yeah, that's powerful. Um, You know, as we look at this chapter that we've just been reading through, Genesis chapter three really is one of the clearest examples of the psychology of temptation that we have in all of Scripture. And uh, of course, As we read that first verse, we saw that the devil was introduced as more cunning than any beast in the field. So, uh, you know, this individual, the devil, is a deceiver. And and of course, Jesus says he was a liar from the beginning, a murderer from the beginning. Now, I want to ask the question. um, He goes, uh, Satan comes in here and tries to advance several lies about god 's character in this passage that we 've just had a look through, uh, Gail, I would like to ask you what 's the first lie that Satan advances about God here in his attempt to deceive Eve?
2: If we go to Genesis chapter three and verse one, as it was read there before, where now the serpent was more cunning as you 've said than the beast of the, any beast of the field. And he uses these words, he says to Eve, he says, Has God indeed said, uh, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And Satan was representing God as a God of major restrictions here and minor liberation. When in reality, God is a God, was a God of major liberation and minor um, restriction. Their own good. Did I say that?
0: Absolutely, and I, you know, I think as, as we reflect on that, it's, it's really a complete reversal of what God had said. <laughs> he said, no, "No, you can eat of everything, but that one, and that one that was put there was only for their best interest to preserve mm-hmm. that freedom of choice because of God's character of love," as, as we have. You know, commented on earlier, and so uh, absolutely, you know, this um, this is a real twisting of the truth we see Satan doing. Satan then goes on uh, in the form of the serpent, and in verse four, directly contradicts God's claim that that this eating of the fruit would result in death. He said, "You won't surely die." Uh, and then he offers one last deception about God's character. What's this last lie that he offers, uh, Alan? Very cunning one.
1: And he knows the human curiosity. Look at Genesis chapter 3 and verse 5. For God knows, this is Satan speaking, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Satan appealed to Eve's desire to to have something else, to be better, to know something that some nobody else does. Nobody else knows. And, and so Satan tells this lie. God doesn't want you to know as much as he does. So that's why he's telling you not to eat this. Dep- deprivation is mm. what he makes God's motive. And of course, she, she fell for it.
0: Mm. And again, this is really a complete reversal of God's character, of love. God's character of love is giving to others, self-love less, others centered. But Satan's lie, here tries to reverse that and say, no, 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 he's selfish. He wants to keep a higher state of being for himself. And you'll be better off if you trust yourself. He's trying to hold something back from you. These are really quite sinister lies about God's character. Mm. And of course, these lies are the same temptations and techniques that God has used all throughout history to deceive and to lead people into temptation. Uh, And I'd like to read here in Genesis chapter 3, verse uh, 4, that second lie. I want to draw attention to it here just for a moment. God's Word says this, "'The serpent said to the woman, "'You will not surely die.'" There's this second temp- second lie that, that Satan advanced about God. Uh, and Gail, I'd like to ask the question of you. What are the many ways that this lie, you will not surely die, has been repeated throughout the ages?
2: Well, this lie was the first sermon on immortality of the soul. And this lie has been perpetuated throughout the history of this world. This notion was the basis of many ancient religions and philosophies. And for instance, in ancient Egypt, um, uh, it motivated the mummification uh, practices and the funerary architecture, uh, such as the pyramids in Egypt. We also see that this theory also became one of the major pillars of Greek philosophy. Mm. And um, these philosophical concepts would shape much of the Western culture and even post-apostolic Christianity. Mm. But they originated much earlier, of course, in the Garden of Eden with the father of lies, Satan himself.
0: It's funny, we don't often think of Satan as a preacher, (laughs) but certainly here he is preaching. He's preaching a certain theology and a certain idea that is, of course, directly in contrast with God's word. And so, Alan, I'd like to ask you, uh, in contrast to the immortality of the soul, this lie that Satan presented, what does the Bible teach? The Bible is very clear and it tells us
1: in Romans 6, uh, 23, for, for a beginning, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Very stark contrast Paul mm. raises here. The wages of sin is death, not immortal life in some other state. If we go over to another statement of Paul's in uh, 1 Timothy 6.16, we read. Well, I'll read the previous verses because it, it'll, it'll give the, give it some context. And he's talking about the fact of Jesus... Uh, witnessing before Pilate. And then he says that uh, we are to keep this commandment without spot, blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ's appearing, which he will manifest in his own time, who is the blessed and only potentate. That's Christ it's talking about, King of kings and Lord of lords. And here's verse 16, who only has immortality, dwelling in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see to whom be honor and everlasting power. So it says that only God is immortal. Everybody else can die.
0: Wow. And I mean, that just um, it stands in direct contrast to what Satan said. He says, well, you know, we, we won't die. We have immortality of the soul in of, of ourselves. And of course, um, that's really an affront to God. That's a characteristic of God, of God, God alone is immortal according to um, those texts of Scripture that we've just read. Um, now, if we are, you know, we, we see that um, there's, there's some people who teach, as they look at Scripture, they teach that at the end of our lives, rather than die, our soul will actually go directly to heaven or directly to hell and just and actually keep living uh, in another state. I'd like to ask, Gail, this is really a flow on from this idea connected to this original sermon of Satan. Um, What does the Bible say about that?
2: Well, just reading a couple of verses from Scripture and turning to Psalms 146 and verse four, the psalmist writes, his spirit departs, he returns to his earth, in that very day, his plans perish. And then I'll also read um, John, in the Gospel of John, John chapter 5 and verse 28 and 29. And the Bible says, Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation. So just putting those two passages together, we see that that life does cease and you go to rest in the grave. Um, and also in that very day, one's plans perish. So there's no more understa- there's no more mental existence anywhere. But when we die and we go to the silence of the grave, we are actually awaiting the life giver. And there are two resurrections according to John and according to the words of Jesus, the resurrection of life, which is a second coming, where Jesus will come and give eternal life to those that wait, are waiting for him. But there's also the resurrection of condemnation before the great white judgment throne. Uh, So there are there is no life after death now Mm. as the flow on from what was being discussed. But in Christ, there will be a life that will be returned.
0: Okay, so I want to I want to flow on from that and continue that idea. If we are mortal, as Scripture clearly teaches, God alone is immortal, we are mortal, we can die. Uh, when exactly do we put on immortality? I mean, according to scripture, Alan. Paul makes it
1: very clear in his famous chapter on the uh, resurrection <clears throat> in First Corinthians 15. This is what he says in the first few verses. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast to the word which I preached to you unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you the first of all that I'll read that again. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So um, this um, tells us the story that uh, It's when we rise again Mm. that uh, immortality is conferred. Mm.
0: Yeah, we we, we put on immortality, so to speak, to use that language of Scripture Mm. there. Um, It's not something that we have in and of ourselves. It's it's something that uh, through connection to Christ we are offered. We're able to, to put that on uh, and, and go live in eternity through connection with Him. A very powerful idea. Now, I want to bring us back to Genesis now, back to, to look at uh, this account of Adam and Eve and their fall into sin. Gail, I'd like to ask you, what was the consequence of Adam and Eve's sin and fall from grace? Yes.
2: There there was quite a few, actually. But just reading first in Genesis 3, verses 7 and 8, uh, the Bible says, um, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. So, yes, the consequences were immediate and uh, the effects of sin here. And so from a theological perspective, um, both were overtaken by theophobia, being afraid of God. They once enjoyed his presence, but here they are showing their fear of God and they hide from him.
0: And the very opposite person who they should really be afraid of.
2: (laughs) Yes, that's so true, because he's created them and he loves them and they they love him as well. But they're feeling very guilty here. And from a uh, psychosocial assessment, they were actually ashamed of themselves. And um, they began to accuse each other. But it's interesting that that covering that they have lost, um, it, it was not just the garment of light that they had lost, but there was a, a moral nakedness now and that shame. And it's interesting, too, as you read on and in, in verses um, that follow, that when God, when God does meet with them, that they actually, when he asks them, where, where are you, Adam, that um, he and why are you hiding? He's actually blames, put the blame on Eve and Eve puts the blame on the serpent. And inadvertently, basically, they're, they're blaming God because God is the creator of Eve and of the serpent. So it's interesting here that accusing that happens. And from a physical standpoint, in Genesis chapter 3, we're we're told the sad story that that Adam would be working from the sweat of his brow and pain would be increased, particularly in childbearing, and they would eventually die. Uh, And also from an ecological perspective, they were going to have to deal with weeds and thorns and thistles and bugs and insects and all sorts of uncomfortable things from the natural world that would be affected because of sin.
0: It's really quite a comprehensive (laughs) uh, way that sin just decimated God's perfect Eden, isn't it? Uh, A very Mm -hmm. tragic situation. Uh, But Gail, I want to throw this question to you again just to follow that up. Uh, That seems like a very dire situation, but also in this chapter we find hope.
2: Amen. If we didn't have this hope, and it's wonderful hope in Genesis 3.15, and it says, uh, the Bible says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. So right here, yes, God was going to put enmity between the woman and the serpent and and promised a seed, the Messiah, who would bring ultimate deliverance from this problem of sin, the effects of sin that has now come into our world. And an animal sacrifice was used as well later on in in verse 21, which also was to illustrate this messianic promise of Christ who would die for our sins and take our place and by his life Cover ours with his perfect robe, his perfect character of righteousness, well th-
0: this beautiful theme of redemption is is really echoes throughout scripture and becomes the theme of scripture uh, it 's not just contained in the Old Testament, we see it also in the new testament Alan what what promises in the New Testament can we hold on to
1: well we can um, the grand theme of of uh, scripture is that um, Christ died for us and uh, what the New Testament promises, uh, we can hold on to and uh, we have a saviour. And I'd like to read uh, the verse that Paul wrote again. Second Corinthians 5:21. Second Corinthians 5 and verse 21 is what we read. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him.
0: Very powerful promise and something that we can hold on to today. There is hope in this sin-sick world. The promised Messiah has become the Redeemer and the Savior of humanity and through His victorious life, death and resurrection offers life and assurance to all who are connected to Him. Won't you put your trust in Him today? We're glad that you joined us today on Let God Speak. Please join us again next time. God bless.